This is CliffCentral.com. Animal Central on CliffCentral.com. Hello, animal lovers. Um, it's your favorite time of the week. It's time for Animal Central and CliffCentral.com. As you well know, this is the only show in South Africa that is dedicated to animals and the people that love them. I'm your host, Ainsley Hay. And we're in for an absolute treat of a show today. <laughs> My guest is pulling faces at me. <laughs> We we are joined today by the ever-delightful Pippa Hankinson from Bloodline, South Africa. So, welcome, Pippa. Thank you, Ansi. <laughs> it's great to be here. Uh, no, I've been wanting to get you guys on the show for quite a while. Um, listeners, if you don't know, um, this is your enlightenment. Um, Bloodline, South Africa is in unbelievable documentary that has been made locally, basically blowing the lid and exposing our dirty little secret that is the captive lion industry. It's a topic that's very close to my heart because it is um, pretty disgusting what our lions go through in captivity. And I'm very grateful to Pippa and her team for doing such amazing work to help get, um, get awareness going out there. So Pippa, do you want to tell us how, how exactly did, the Bloodlines documentary come about? Okay, and so it started sort of four or five years mm-hmm. ago, and it was quite a long story. <clears throat> um, I was involved with conservation. I was involved with a number of NGOs mm-hmm. and conservation organizations. I was a trustee of a number of organizations. Okay. And um, it, during my work at the time, I visited a lion breeding farm near Harry Smith in mm-hmm. the Free State. And I was born in Malawi and grew up in mm-hmm. Swaziland, and I was Lovely. used to seeing lions roaming free. Yes. And we all knew about um, the um, Roger Cook, you know, the Cook yes. report that happened in 1997. Yes. With the canned hunting. Yeah, and, mm. they, you know, that really stuck in everybody's mind. But in 2010 they were, or 27, there was a, a, a court case, mm-hmm. and everybody believed that, you know, that it mm. had disappeared. Mm. Very few people actually knew about it. So to go onto this farm and to see these rows upon rows mm. upon rows of, of animals that were mass-bred and mm. inbred and cross-bred mm. with other species, Ugh. and it was just quite quite horrifying yeah. to me. I, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. And, yeah, it was shocking. And I, I you know, drove home back to Durban the next day mm. and I thought, you know, people need to know about this. And I started talking to a number of okay. people and people just were not aware. Mm. Most of these farms were not open to public yep. scrutiny. They're yep. not open to the public. And so I decided just to do a little bit of research to mm. find out. And the more I researched, the sort of deeper I got into it. And um, um, people were just not aware. And it wasn't mm. only foreigners. <clears throat> Excuse me. It was it was South Africans mm. as well who really thought that the industry had been banned. Yeah. And so I thought, well, you know, we actually need to raise awareness mm. around this. And I, the only way that I could think to do that was to, to make a documentary. Mm. And so then, of course, the challenge was, was how does one make a documentary yeah. when one's never made one before? <laughs> and about, you know, you need the mm. skills, you mm. need the expertise. And so it was quite a long time. And then eventually I, Thought, okay, well, where do I start? Mm. You know, I think fear holds so many people back from doing what they want to do. And, um, I just thought, well, if I got the right team together, Mm. then there was a possibility that I could get this together. Mm. And so I I approached a couple of cameramen and Mm. I thought that had to be the place to start. (laughs) And eventually I met Nick Chevalier, who is a wildlife cameraman and, um, he just, 
said to me, you know, if you'd approached me a month ago, I would have said no. But he okay. said, I know about this industry oh. and I would like to help you. Oh, that's fantastic. And I also asked him, I'd been, um, I met a, a man, Ian Mickler, about 25 years ago mm-hmm. in Botswana. And I'd followed his work through, he's a, a environmentalist, an author, mm-hmm. and a conservationist. Mm-hmm. And I'd followed his work through the years. And I thought that Ian would be the right person to lead the film. Mm-hmm. Um, whether we, I wasn't sure how I was going, whether it was yes. going to be as a narrator or a okay. character or what. But, okay. And um, Ian and Nick had done Tracks of Giants together. Yes. And Nick had filmed three okay. of those legs. So he ha- had Ian's number and I phoned Ian. So... The three of us started for the first year and okay. we visited some of these farms mm-hmm. and we um, interviewed a lot of professionals mm-hmm. across the board mm-hmm. from government officials to nature conservation mm-hmm. officials, lion ecologists, mm-hmm. um, wow. you know, um, sanctuary owners, mm-hmm. environmental lawyers, mm-hmm. activists, you mm-hmm. name it. We, um, hunters as well, we mm-hmm. had, we interviewed. And then at the end of that year, I realized that we actually needed a script. So we okay. kind of, had to do it the other way around to a normal ah, film. Okay. Once we got the footage, we could write the script. And Bruce Young was available, and he immediately jumped um, oh, onto the team, and he started writing the script. And we had a, a young editor, Dave Cohen, who'd helped us with the promo okay. in the first year. And then towards the end of that time, um, I realized we – we're going into post-production, and I actually knew nothing about that. So <laughs> a friend of Ian's was a very well-known um, filmmaker, Jeremy Nathan from Johannesburg. And Jeremy really mentored all of us through the whole process, mm-hmm. and he brought to the film a very calm and steadying and professional hand. Oh, brilliant. And so he mentored me, I mean, through the whole post-production okay. process. And then um, towards the end of the following year, so this we're now about um, two years down the line, mm-hmm. And I realized that oh, and we were running out of money fast mm. because I had raised donations to, to fund the actual mm-hmm. filming, the production side okay. of the film. And um, so I knew that I was going to have to borrow some money because yes. we didn't have time. Yes. And um, to cut a very long story short, an NGO in KZN, Wildlands Conservation Trust, I pitched to their board um, together with Jeremy and they agreed to come on board and to Fantastic. lend us the remaining finance. And so that's how it all happened. And then uh, that was with the proviso that they joined um, in and I in the campaign yes. going forwards, and they have. So um, Dr. Andrew Fenter, the CEO of Wildlands, joined us yes. and his marketing manager, Lauren Fenekirk, and then our social media manager, Nic- Nicola Girard, came on board. So, Brilliant. And to, then we literally premiered the film at Durban Film Festival. Okay. Last year, so so it's been the film's been going for a year now. The film has been going almost a year That's now. That's fantastic, yeah. and I mean, it's definitely morphed into a, a into a full blown campaign. Would you say? Yes. Well, that yeah. was the whole. We couldn't the aim. It, the The problem with the Cook Report is that it was shocking, and yeah. it, everybody remembers it, mm. but it didn't. There was no follow on yes. to it. Yes. So I mean, they did a fantastic job, and Gareth Patterson was very involved with yes. with the research of that, and um, and then Roger Cook came out on the strength of mm. that. And did the report But there was no follow on There was mm. no campaign There was no sort of um, What's the word I want There was no action plan yes. to, to go on So we knew that we had to to, to follow it on yeah. With a campaign And that's been amazing I mean 
Yeah. That really has been amazing. But the whole journey, I mean, it was extraordinary, you know, going onto the farms, the reception mm. that we had. Um, wasn't, yeah, we weren't exactly, didn't get the red carpet treatment there. Yes, and I think, I think listeners, you know, you hear about, you hear about the canned hunting and the captive lion problems that we have in this country, but I don't think that it's, you, you really need to watch this movie. You need to, um, put some time aside and watch it because it, it portrays Everything in a completely unbiased, hard out truth, um, way. I mean, I've worked on, from an animal welfare perspective on the front line. And, and this is the reality. What, what is going on? You know, our, our lions are farmed like chickens in cages. And that's not even, you know, there, there's a whole lot of other huge problems connected to the whole industry. So how, how do, how do listeners get hold of the DVD or how do they watch, watch well, the movie? The DVD is out in South Africa now okay. and that can be, um, bought through takealot.com. Brilliant. Okay. <coughs> well, that's so, easy. Yeah. Yeah. That's very easy. And they've actually got a special for the month of March and that's yes. been produced by our distributors here in South Africa. So um that is available. And then we are having some private screenings per okay. year. Um, but our big campaign for this year is is really to try and get the film out there to create the awareness. Yes. Our education campaign, we're busy fundraising at the moment okay. to put a person in place to handle the, the education campaign. And That's very already, important. Yeah, already we've had screenings in schools and universities and oh, wow. tourism is a big thrust as well. Yes. Mm. So just the name of the DVD quickly. It's, it's Bloodlines. Bloodlines. Yeah. Okay. That's, yeah. that's easy listeners. So take a lot.com Bloodlines. Um, so definitely the tourism is a huge part because with our captive lion industry, majority of the shenanigans that these farmers get up to is quite well funded by tourists. So do you want to tell us a little bit about that and you know, I know you recently were at a tourism fair in Germany or something? Yes, at ITB. Yes. Yeah. So tell us a bit about that. Yeah, I think, you know, the, the, the part of the whole cycle of the lion, the lion's life really mm. is, um, fr- from the beginning where it's, it's petted as a, as a cub. And then when it gets a little bit too big for that, then it goes into, um, a sort of program where young volunteers mm. are, are encouraged to come to South Africa to, mm-hmm. to pay between 30 and 50,000 rand a month Jeez. to, to, <laughs> to look after these lions. <laughs> Is it that much now? Yeah. 30 to 50,000 yeah. rand a month yeah. that you are paying a lion farmer to hand raise and play with a lion that'll either be stuck in a cage to produce more lions or it'll be shot. Yeah. It's yeah. criminal. And, and, and 90% of them are not aware of the actual yeah, cycle. They think the that they're helping the conservation. They think that their lion's going to end up born free in the wild and. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think, you know, there's, there's a lot of, of mismarketing, mm. if you can call it that, mm. um, where these young people are told that A, they're, they're petting, um, uh, orphaned lions. Yes. And in fact, they're not orphaned. They've been taken away from the, the lionesses yeah. within the first week. So that she'll go back into estrus. Yeah. Um, it's really just a rapid breeding cycle. And then they're also told that it's a conservation project and that mm. these lions are going to be rehabilitated and rewilded. And the ecologists that we've spoken to have basically said that, you know, there are literally mm. a handful of lions mm. that have ever been successfully, successfully. rewilded. Yep. And those that have been are into, you know, into areas, controlled areas yes. anyway. 
And it's, you know, it's, it's taken years and years mm. to do that and a huge amount, millions of dollars, mm. in fact, um, mm-hmm. to do this. So it's not to be and taken because, lightly. No. Mm. And because our wildlands, our populations are stable, you know, the ecologists and the conservationists saying, why on earth would we take Domestically bred animals to to repopulate areas exactly. when we don't need to. When yep. we can just we would source we can from take, wild populations. Exactly. Yep. And then you know the genetic side. Um, the, the breeders also claim that they are, you know, they they all have stud books and record books mm. and everything. But we've found no evidence of that. In fact, yes. we had an interview with the head of the Predator Breeder Association, mm-hmm. and he said one of his farms. Um, had was keeping record books, right. and possibly there are more now. But um, one out of how many farms point, did he have as member? Um, at that time, there were just over a hundred, <laughs> but I believe they're now closer to two hundred members. So. It's a joke. Mm. It's a bloody joke. <laughs> uh, I think I think that's also half of the problem is that with with animal use. Um, I don't know. In in the various of animal industries I've worked in, I think it takes a very specific personality type to decide to make profit off of animals. Um, and I think particularly wild animals. It's, you exactly. Know. You know, you're depriving an animal of its free freedom. You're confining it and now you are manipulating it in a way that you can profit from. It takes, mm. what I would love to see actually at some point is a, is a sort of a character reference done on the type of personality that it takes because in the three and a half years that I actively worked in law enforcement for animal, wild animal welfare, I did not meet one wild animal one person that was keeping wild animals in captivity and profiting off of them that I thought, oh, you're just a really nice person. You're a really nice person and I can, I can get on with you on like a base level. Every single person that I met, I thought I just, you know, when you, I'm, I'm quite a good judge of character and all of them, they were, e- they were either extremely defensive, generally always extremely hostile. It was next to impossible to do your job and all that I was doing was a job. What was the reaction that you had? Oh, disgusting reactions. Sworn at, spat at pretty much, um, physic, very close to physically assaulted. And this was just literally because I was doing my job and I was there to do an inspection and look at their animals. And I always used to say, well, if you've got nothing to hide, why are you putting up such a fight? If you really are the best of the best and you lion farmers know exactly everything about lion farming and lions, which is what they all say, then you should be, then you should be letting me in with oh, doors wide open and you should be teaching me. But I never once had that. I never once had that. It, and it's, 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 it's just dreadful because no one ever seems to sort of focus on that. And mm. the people that are, that are trying to, that are neutral and are trying to work for the bet, better of these animals have to have these huge battles just to look at animals. And that automatically is, is raising, raising alarm bells in my mind. Yeah. And I can only imagine that you must have had similar experiences when you went out to the farms. Well, we did. I mean, we stayed, the first one we stayed at, um, they, they were suspicious because we were asking mm. a lot of questions mm-hmm. and we, we actually asked, we said, can we use the cameras? And they said, yes, with pleasure. Okay. Um, but then the next thing we, um, we had supper and we tried to chat to the guys afterwards and they wouldn't chat. And, and then the next thing they came barging into where we were staying what? and had a good look around to see what, you know, and saw the camera equipment and everything. And then we discovered the next day that they had actually phoned everybody in the area. To warn really? them that we were, there were three, t- three people coming in a car and, really? you know, so we'd booked a tour the day before and it was open to the public. In the free state, they have a big 
big signboard saying welcome to the lion route. Oh, um, gosh. So we'd booked this tour where we were going to visit the cubs and then they were taking us in a land cruiser to visit the rest of the, the mm. lion breeding area. And we got there and everything was fine and we got a great welcome from the chap mm. and, and then all of a sudden somebody called him and there was a phone call and he rushed in and he came out and he said, no, sorry, the, the cat, the, the tour has been cancelled. Mm. Land cruise is broken. Owner's not there. Meanwhile, it was the owner's son-in-law. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that's how it was for the mm. rest of the day. Shut so down. Everywhere. Yeah. yeah. And then the, the, the last, um, about the third or fourth farm we went to, he actually came out filming us. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, he came out with his <laughs> camera and he was filming us and, oh. yeah, eventually he threw us off. He told us that Nature Conservation had, had called him and, mm. um, warned him about us and that he was going to call the police. He gave us two minutes oh, to get goodness. off, otherwise he was going to call the police. So, yeah, my, my feeling exactly is that if there isn't anything to hide, if they're proud of what Try they're be doing, transparent. then welcome people. Exactly. Welcome film crews, you know. And, exactly. And, yeah, so. Prove us wrong. And that's the thing. I think if there's, there's very little proof that they, they seem to substantiate saying, oh, that, but they treat their animals well and they love their animals or whatever. And there's, I, I certainly haven't heard any truth. And a lot of the scientific, um, studies that they refer to also are in-house scientific studies. If we've, we've done internal, um, reports and everything, well, that's, that's, it's negated. It needs mm. to be mm. open and transparent and audited. But now there, there was one, one place that we went to where there was a woman, um, breeding, breeding cubs mm-hmm. and, I think she genuinely did love her animals, mm-hmm. but there was almost this blinker approach where she didn't actually want to know where they went. Oh, that's you know? dreadful. And, um, and as long as she didn't know, she was happy. That's but crazy. I mean, the one story that finished us off, there were two things there with, there was a white lioness that was pregnant for the fourth time in 14 months. <gasps> and she, and the, the mate, the, the lion okay. was there in the same enclosure with her. And when they just kept charging the fence, they were oh, so stressed. Okay. And then she took us to see these tiny, tiny little cubs. They were literally days old and they couldn't hardly walk. And she told us how a couple of days or day previously she'd taken them for a walk. And as soon as the lioness had seen them, she literally flew down the enclosure and flung herself repeatedly at the fence to get to to them. To get to her babies. Yeah. So this whole thing is that, that they don't, they don't know. Um, you know, that when their cubs are taken away and they No, they know. They certainly know. They definitely um, know. And she knew they knew, you know, so. Yeah. Oh, it's just it's a very stressful thing. And of course, the immune system of the cubs mm. go down. You know, we interviewed Karen Trendler in the film and, and went to see her on her rhino pro- mm. um, rehabilitation center. And she was just saying that the whole immune system mm. of the cubs goes down of the mothers mm. and the and exactly the, and the males because the males, the big lions, that yeah. they, the breeding males, are just put back with the females again, again and, again and, again and again and again. Yeah, you know, and there's some breeding farms in the Free State that have bred the same lions for ten years, oh, and the cubs now are not even. The only reason now they're changing their stock is because the cubs are not surviving. Yeah, you know, so and that's always and and they're born. Completely without limbs. Yes, and you can see it. It's not even on a, just on a purely genetic level. You can physically see with your eyes the effect of the bad breeding that is having on our captive lions. Mm. I mean, our lions are getting these blunted faces. Their, their noses are coming in. Their squint eyes, all the, the leg and foot problems with mm. the, mainly the white lions, but now also coming into the tawnies. I mean, it's just, it's ludicrous. But then these breeders, so I, everyone knows I'm not a fan of anyone who breeds any form of animal. 
any form. I don't, I don't believe in it. Wild animal, wild animals can, should breed in the, in the wild, but anything else, it's, it's entirely unnecessary. And breeders always think that they're experts and breeders always say, Oh, but you know, and I, I saw, I saw a, one of the most <laughs> ridiculous, um, articles that has come out in argument in pro, pro of the, the captive lion, um, industry. I'm sure you must have seen it. Uh, a, the, the level of maturity of the article is something to be questioned. It's like a puerile little spotty teenager wrote it who had a, gri- a, a grap yeah, and a grudge written. to bear. And in there it says, oh, no, but we, we, us lion breeders, we know what we're doing because we used to farm cattle. What bloody excuse is that? The, the practices used in cattle breeding is generally it's all of your intensive breeding practices. It's not even – Majority of our intensively bred cattle, if you look at dairy cattle, I mean, dairy cattle can hardly stand now because they've got such big, um, um, jugs per se. That it's, it's, it's not breeding animals for their health or their re- reproductive vigor. It's breeding animals so either you can get a bigger coat, more milk, more yield or whatever. You're not breeding animals to make the animals better. Mm. You're breeding them to make them more money. So how is that possibly an argument that you know what you're bloody doing? Well, that's the whole point of, of breeding lions is, is, mm. is the biggest, the bigger, the biggest man, exactly. the biggest trophy. Yeah. So the lions that they're breeding now are, are huge. Yeah. And they've got these enormous manes. And of mm. course, now this is what I believe has led to the lion bone trade because mm-hmm. the bones are are mm-hmm. the same size as tiger bones yeah. now. So our lions, off. and in literally in five years from virtually nothing, it's gone to over a thousand carcasses that are leaving the country. And those, you know, what we know of mm-hmm. their consignments of bones going out to, to China for traditional Chinese mm-hmm. medicine, for the tiger bone trade, for the tiger wine mm-hmm. um, industry. And, um, yeah, it's, it's worrying because it's, it's escalating enormously. Yeah. And, you know, the, the African Lion Working Group has actually come out with a statement against captive breeding. And okay. just to give you an idea of what they've, they basically say, they just say that, you know, any captive bred animal, captive bred lion, um, or lion breeding is not self-sustainable and yep. it doesn't provide any demonstrated positive benefits to wild lion conservation. Yep. And so it can't be claimed in conservation, yep. which they're all doing. They do. And then they also just say that, um, you know, the, the, they feel, they, they think that maybe the captive bred lion industry is fueling the increased yep. demand for lion bone trade. Yep. And that's really worrying because that could, in their view, impact on wild lion exactly. populations. Um, and hinder conservation yeah. efforts. You know, there's also the, the, the argument that the mixed messages being put out around captive lion breeding and canned hunting or captive hunting as they choose to, to call it is actually diverting really necessary funding yeah. for, away from proper conservation, yep. lion conservation yep. projects. No, completely. Um, but there's such blurring of the lions mm. with all of, you know, with the, with everything that yeah. goes out, you know, the, the numbers of lions are, yes. you know, that's one of the things that is blurred. Yeah. The difference between the captive and the, you yes. know, the wild they'll, population. They'll say that, oh, there's X amount of lions in South Africa. Meanwhile, most majority of those numbers are sitting in cages yeah. that are, that are absolutely no, they're not to be seen as part of our wild lion numbers because they have no, no value to conservation. Yeah. Well, they say that the lion numbers are going up. But the only lion numbers that are going up are the captive yes, breed lions exactly. that are going up, yeah. So, it's so our wild yeah. populations in South Africa are between, I think it's two and a half and three thousand mm-hmm. li- wild lions, and those are stable. Yep. But the, the captive bred animals are going up, and so the, mm. the figures get lumped together. Yeah. So they're basically saying we've got 11,000 lions in South Africa. Ridiculous. And we don't, because 8,000 yeah. of the, or 8,000 <laughs> predators, 
um, are captive bred. Yeah. You know, most and of those are just lions. Just think the 8,000 8, lions in cages. 8,000 lions in cages in South Africa. And listeners, I'm sorry, but if you have gone on a weekend, packed up your picnic bag and gone to a facility and paid to take a selfie with a lion cub or play with a lion cub or walk with a lion or drive in a lion park with lions in cages, you have helped this industry. You are helping this. You are helping make certain farmers very, very wealthy and you are helping our lions get shot in cages or shot in camps or stuck in cages and yeah. turned into breeding machines. This is the reality. So I need to give our <laughs> listeners, as you can hear, <laughs> Viva and I have a lot to say on this topic. We would love to hear from you though. Um, so please get hold of us. Our number is 0861 Our Twitter at cliffcentral.com Facebook Cliff Central and WeChat. Um, you tap connect and send a message to show to Cliff Central. So we are going to go on a bit of a music break and um, please do get hold of us and we will be back now now animal central on cliffcentral.com keeping it real on cliffcentral.com Right, so that's us on Animal Central. That's back after a little music break. Um I'm joined by Pippa Hankinson from Blood Lions. We have been talking quite a bit about the history of how Bloodlines, um, the DVD and documentary came about. And we, we briefly topped, uh, stopped on the topic of um, tourism and how this is all connected. And we, I mentioned that you had been to an ITB, a tourism trade fair in Germany. Do you want to tell us a bit about that? Yeah, sure. Um, ITB is probably one, it's, I think it is the biggest uh, tourism trade fair in the world. Oh, wow. And um, my background was in tourism for a long time, okay. so it was quite familiar to me. And we were in invited to by the ITB um, fair trade tourism at least sorry responsible tourism oh, wow. um, uh, uh, individuals to screen the film and okay. to host and to participate in a number of workshops sure. and um, and panel discussions at ITB huh. so we we did we went across and um, I was also invited to by fair trade tourism to uh, deliver part of the keynote address for them at oh, their wow. at their um, opening event on sure. the main stage, and that was very interesting. We mm. had very interesting reactions around mm-hmm. volunteerism okay. as well as tourism. Okay. So, just your your question about how tourism supports yes. this industry? It's basically the tourism for the cub petting mm. industry, and then the volunteers for the volunteer mm. industry. So. There were a lot of rec- uh, volunteer recruitment agencies mm. there who were very interested. They'd heard about this industry. Okay. And, in fact, many of them came up and thanked us oh, for being there, for showing the film, and good. to raise these these issues with oh, them. that's brilliant. So um, uh, then we had our own screening, which was we had a full house. There was standing room only. Okay. And um, – so tourism is is a huge part of it mm. to to really to raise awareness and to empower the recruitment agencies mm-hmm. to make the right decisions mm. and the volunteers and of course tourists you mm. know i think 90% of south africans have been to these competing yeah. places but not actually realized no not maliciously at all no they, it's been very innocent yeah. and it's it, and it's quite dreadful because the lies that they're told it's so I think they're such well-practiced lies as well because they stand up there and for the 500 people that come through, they're saying the same lies, the same things, and the staff believe it. I think, A, the staff believe it, and B, 
it's easier to just believe that it's the same with unwanted dogs. You know, when you were a child and you just, when your mom or dad says, oh no, but you know, Spike is going to a farm. It's easier to believe, oh no, the lion's cubs were orphaned and we're going to raise them now and then they'll go to a big farm and they'll be free and eat marshmallows because they're not nasty lions that are going to eat people or anything. So it's just, it's, you can understand how it happens, but I think the more that we get out there with education, people need to know the truth and they yeah. need to know what they are supporting with their money. Yeah. And by supporting activities like this, you, there's a whole bigger kettle of fish that's underlying than just that wonderful moment with a wild animal. And yeah. it is. Interactions with wild animals are amazing, yeah. but interactions with wild animals should be when you're looking at them in nature. It shouldn't be, you know, because they're stuck in a cage or drugged or... Anything like well, that. you know, I think too, people need to ask the right questions. Mm. I think with the volunteers, they, you know, they go to these places in mm. Africa. It's the first time they've come mm. to Africa. So of course they're going to believe yes. everything that they're told. They're yeah. young, they're impressionable, yeah. they're naive. And when they do ask the right questions, you know, they have a really hard time. Yes. Um, so yeah, I think it's about, Empowering people yeah. um, to make the right decision. I think it was Einstein who said, "When we have the privilege of knowing, we have the duty yes. to act." Yeah, and Spot that's on. I think really where where we are with yeah. that. So the main questions that we've said to everybody is: first of all, ask where the properties. You know, to do their research mm-hmm. to find out where they're going because there are very definitely some fantastic mm-hmm. um, volunteer projects yes. that are happening in South Africa. Bonafide conservation. And there's so sanctuary. much in the way of tourism that people mm-hmm. don't need to go to these. Exactly. Petting places. You know, there's exactly. so many other fantastic yeah. things to do in this country. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, so I think, you know, the two questions are where do the lions, where the, where do the cubs come from? Yeah. Number one. And that, and to demand a, a, the truth of mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. And secondly, you know, where do the lions go when yeah. they grow up? You know, yeah. not one of these breeding places have been able to tell us where exactly. they've gone. And they will challenge us on social media mm. and we will have court cases yeah. and that sort of thing. But there, there is no, Proof that they have yep. been rehabilitated exactly. into the wild. Exactly. So, and a lot of them are claiming to be sanctuaries, and in our view, sanctuaries worldwide are provide lifetime homes yes. for animals. They don't. Yes. They don't have any human interaction. Yep. They don't. They breed. certainly don't breed, and mm-hmm. they don't trade. Exactly. So those three questions are the others, and I yes. think just those messages I think really got across mm. when uh, when we were at ITB, and we will also we're going to be present at World Travel Market in Cape Town as well as the Conservation Lab. Oh, brilliant! Um, yeah. So Ian Mickler will be present at those and we'll be screening the film good and so yeah and in, i think do i remember correctly that in the film there was um some one of our tourism our minister of yes. tourism yeah the he honorable gave De- some very interesting comments on the film am I, am I correct yes our minister of tourism the honorable dear conicom um he basically said that he 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 really doesn't enjoy this industry mm, at all mm. and he just said that he he didn't he he felt that it was giving brand south africa mm-hmm. a bad name mm-hmm. and he he couldn't gauge the, to what extent that the mm. damage was being done but he okay. said that he very definitely felt that it yeah. was damaging brand south africa mm. and that he felt that it should actually be stopped mm. so yeah that was our minister of tourism and we've also partnered with a number of tourism organizations around the world um where they have put out statements right. and 90% of the time the tourism people the people involved in tourism have not have already stopped supporting really? these projects but it's not getting through to the public oh dear, okay. so I think that's where they have been okay. so so pleased that the film has come mm. out now on DVD and it's mm. now out on iTunes and Brilliant. 
yeah, it's out on DVD in America, and, we, and our video on demand um, st- is is being launched on the fifteenth of April, and that'll be oh. global through Wildlife Conservation That's Channel. Sure. Yeah. That's so that'll be very news. exciting, and yeah, we're also rolling out. Um, very, you know, we're back g- going to be rolling out our whole education program this year. So, mm. yeah, I think the other thing that um, w- was one thing that I, I raised when I was at ITB, which, well, there were two things. And the one thing was the actual safety aspect mm-hmm. and the training aspect. You know, these volunteers come and yeah. they're not trained no. in anything. And mm-hmm. you as a, as a, as a, you know, with your background mm-hmm. would well know the training that is yes. required yeah. for that. To look after these animals. Yeah. And they, they're given, I mean, neonatal care, which is the care of the very, very young cubs is very specific and you get these poor volunteers that arrive in South Africa they sort of put into a mass program they're given these cubs they're told mix this milk with that and look after them and they they don't know what they're doing and it's so there's a there's a effect on the on the animals welfare and on the volunteers welfare often they they worked you know very very long hours and very dangerous and hostile situations and then on top of that they're often eaten by the lions or at what? least chewed chewed slightly scratched by the lions yeah, because yeah. after all these are surprise surprise wild animals yeah and there've been a surprising number of maulings that have I not People don't realize yeah. because a, I think a lot of, so if it's a staff member that gets mauled by a captive wild animal, it's generally doesn't hit the, the media. Also, a lot of the times I think some people have been paid by the facilities not to report, but if you just do a quick Google search, when you've got some time listeners, get off Facebook, go onto Google, just Google mauled by lion, chewed by lion, Bitten by a lion, killed by captive lion, South Africa. And you would be horrified at the amount of times people, well, you would be horrified, but you shouldn't be because it's, you know, people should be eaten every day interacting with wild animals if we're, if we're true about it. But I believe some owners have actually been killed. Yes. Yeah, there have, there have been a couple of owners that have been killed. I mean, I remember when I did an inspection at the one lion farm, I arrived there and everyone was quite hysterical, which was, um, quite unusual because generally they're quite lethargic at these places and what it turned out is that um, one of the staff members had killed another staff member and then they'd cut a hole in the lion camp thrown the dead body in the lion camp to try and make it look like the lions ate him but then the lions sort of licked him a bit and then the lions got out and escaped so the lions were out so there's all it's you know, some of, some of these lion farms, and as you know, you go onto them and it's like a different country. There's like a different set of laws that applies and it's not, it's definitely not happy places. <laughs> yeah. Not good places. Well, we've heard from volunteers that in all the time that they've been on some of the breeding farms, there's not been one vet that's gone yeah. out. Mm-hmm. And then I've heard from other people that, and I've actually seen footage of volunteers being handed dart guns <gasps> to actually dart. That is highly illegal. Guns, yeah, to, to, to dart the animals. So. <gasps> That's shocking. But they, the problem is, is that so many of them are really frightened to come yeah. forward and to and speak on camera, you know. So we don't, I mean, Muntu asked earlier, he asked some very good questions and that he asked if there are any watchdogs in the industry and who, who monitors this industry. The unfortunate truth is that there aren't any watchdogs. People are often, um, 
victimized and highly intimidated and threatened if they dare to speak out. Also, a lot of the time, unfortunately, these, volunteer, these volunteers are so overwhelmed and petrified is that there's no evidence. And then they finally come forward with their stories and what happened and what they've witnessed, and it's horrifying, but there's no evidence. Mm-hmm. And without evidence, you can't do anything. You can't, you can't, it's her word against his. And I promise you that that farm owner is going to have his, the rest of the staff compliment on his side. And it's, it's, it's very difficult. In terms of monitoring, it should be our provincial nature conservation departments. They're the people that give out these permits. They're the people that allow these abhorrent practices to happen. But they don't because in all honesty, it's just a lick and a stamp and you get a permit and you can do what you want. And they don't care about welfare. They did, but then there was a ridiculous court case that very incorrectly ruled that nature conservation has no say in animal welfare. So now they issue permits, which a lot of the time actively cause animal cruelty. And they do nothing about making sure that these animals are cared for properly. Then it, the, the the sole responsibility of animal welfare in this country forms on non-governmental, non-profit organisations like the NSPCA, who is completely under under-resourced. Mm-hmm. You know, they've got to deal with every single animal species in the entire country, every single province. It's disgusting. Our government fails our captive wild animals every bloody day, and I will say this till the day I die: they are flipping useless, and they should be held to task. For what happens to our wildlife There we go Off my soapbox <laughs> We we have screened the film To the Department of Environmental really? Affairs yeah. and, and Did they stay awake through it? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry I'm we, getting personal we, now. <laughs> we, we showed the film a week before we premiered okay. And um, yeah we, we actually invited And encouraged open dialogue And to an engagement mm-hmm. We did have one follow up meeting mm-hmm. Not me personally But um, Dr. Andrew Fenter did okay. And with one of the, the uh, With, with the, some, some colleagues But there's been nothing since then nothing. And this is, you know, it's, uh, you know, you referred to that article written by the Predator Breeders mm. Association earlier. If you could call it and an it's, you know, it's just, it's disappointing. It's really disappointing at this absurd attempt to discredit mm. people, to discredit the film and, you know, well-known mm. and respected people yes. that are in the film yeah. or, not, and some, in some cases, not even involved with the film, yeah. but, but others. And, you know, it, it just, instead of, uh, you know, c- uh, coming up with some solution or, or even an, an, engaging, engaging open engagement in an open yeah. and honest and constructive way. Yeah. I just think that unless that we do that, that we're never going to get anywhere exactly. with this because everybody's so busy mudslinging yeah. and, and you it's, know, it's all, just it's, crazy. It's, it's, I mean, that that whole article just sums up their tactics to me because they're bullies. They're bullies, and that is a completely bully. Instead of being like, okay. You you have some problems with what we do. You have some problems with what we do. Let's let's sit down and talk about this and see. Instead, he he resorts to name calling and all these bullying, horrible tactics. And well, it just it was, it was it very immature. To, yes. I think it was um, very very immaturely. But written, that just but, seems yeah. to sum to sum up the entire the entire industry because there's never. You know, I always, I'm so, I'm very naive, I know, and, but I always like to believe that industries would like to self-govern or self-manage or at least strive to, cause you will always be judged by your weakest link. Mm. And rightfully so. Rightfully so. So it shouldn't be for external people telling you what problems are going on. You as an industry should know what's going on and you should root it out to, to better your business even. Always like, if, we have how many lion farms in South Africa? Well, we, we, we know of 200. Exactly. So we have 200 lion farms. They're all in competition with each other. If we just look at the tourism aspect. So instead of having 200 lion farms that do pay and pay for pets, what happens if we had 50? 
and they were all governed by themselves and they made sure that they were the best, then you would have more business because you would have more people coming to your line farms because you knew that it would be better instead of having 200 relatively shitty ones. And then the, your market is your market is flooded. Well, yeah, I think people are just any anybody yeah. you know, as Karen Trendler said, anybody can start it. You just exactly. you have to have the money, the money. to build the fences, exactly. and there's no other requirement. And that's absurd to, to own a lion, a lion, mm. and it, and you don't you don't have to prove that you have any experience with animals, any form of qualification, nothing. You can just buy the land, buy the permit, build a cage, buy the lion. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I think, you know, it would really be great. I think, you know, I know Ian Mickler and Dr. Andrew Fenter have time and time again offered, you know, to engage in open Mm. dialogue and to set up a forum to do this. And I can only hope that at some point this will happen Mm. because at the moment, you know, this what's being bandied about at the moment is just propagandized and it's duplicitous. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think if we could engage and and have a roundtable, you know, conversation and, and meeting. It would be really great. It yeah. would be fantastic. Yeah. Um, because it, it, we have to find a solution. Exactly. It, it's, it's just going on and on and mm. on, and there is no way that that um, we, we. I just can't see a light at the end of the tunnel mm. at the moment. So. And have you had any buy-in from any South African context? Any of the role players? Anything? I know you've had a, you've had buy-in from external from. You know, we've got a number of partners that we're working with yeah. and yeah, they are making some headway. I okay. mean, we're looking, I know, I've heard that some of the, um, regulations are being re-looked at okay. and, you know, um, I know for a fact our TOPS regulations, they, mm-hmm. there was an attempt to, for those yes. to be passed through by excluding lions mm-hmm. because, you know, 98% of them are domestic. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was nipped in the bud and that's good. gone back to the drawing good. board. So hopefully that will, Very good. will, yeah. And a number of other regulations, but, you know, as, as Cormac Kalinan, who was the environmental lawyer that we spoke to, he just basically said that it slips through the cracks mm-hmm. in our legislation. Yep. You know, we've got legislation under Department of Environmental mm-hmm. Affairs and it's a pass the buck situation. Mm-hmm. So, because they are domestic animals and welfare yep. doesn't fall under Department of yep. Environmental Affairs, it falls under Department of Death. Agriculture, yeah. who basically says, well, they can't do anything because these are wild animals. Yep. So there's no um, effective legislation. Yeah. And he just said that, you know, he, he thought that we would have to redraft legislation. Yeah. But whether there's the political will to do that, no. I don't know. So yeah, that therein, therein lies... One of the big problems. But I know that there are a number of legal people that would like to see yes. legislation, you know, yeah. amended. Yes. Um, so maybe, you know, that's something that we need to work towards yeah. as well. But at all, at the end of the day, it all boils down to the will to participate mm-hmm. in meaningful dialogue yeah. and, um, and constructive dialogue mm-hmm. and to try and find a, a solution to mm-hmm. this rather than everybody doing their own thing and, mm-hmm. exactly. and, and nothing actually coming to fruition exactly because it's just because at, at the moment i mean from going from absolutely nothing no captive bred animals in yeah. the late 90s yep um to you know 8,000 8, today now. what's going to be in 2020 we've got a prediction of 20,000 <gasps> animals you know and that that's very hard to even Stomach. contemplate yeah. yeah and and i mean that's the problem it's it's growing exponentially i think it also a lot of people see it as a as a quick buck. It's it's an easy, a relatively easy way mm. to make money. You don't need that much infrastructure. 
I think one very mm. positive move that came out of, of ITB in Germany was our partnership with Fair Trade Tourism, where yes. they're looking at their criteria Good. for the volunteer agencies. Oh, that's brilliant. And that's a very positive thing. And they're very um, connected in tourism. And okay. I think that, you know, that will be a very, very a positive out, outcome that And so how is the, uh, the the population of the African lion doing? The, well, Truthfully, not, know, not all the I'm, nonsense that I'm gets not an me. authority, but mm. I do know that 90% of our land population has has disappeared in the last 50 oh, years. And I'm 90% not, in yeah. 50 years. And it's, you know, it's human, it's, hab, you yeah, know, it's habitat, habitat and it's human encroachment and it's, you know, hunting. It's yeah, all sorts of different, yeah, different mm. reasons. But the, the, those are the, those are the stats. Sure. Um, but in South Africa, you know, our, our lion populations are stable. stable, although we've got, you know, problems with TB. Yes. And, and there are a lot of scientific research projects going on with that. Yeah. So hopefully. Yeah. We just, we got a phone. We got a phone on the loose. Sorry, <laughs> I think it was mine. <laughs> Sure, yeah, but so, that's, um. So, yeah, they, they are in decline across Africa. Mm. There's some areas, and I, again, I'm not sure exactly which areas they are, where they are extinct now. Really? And they are becoming extinct, <sighs> you know, dreadful. more and more rapidly. But it would be interesting to, if, you know, to have to the input of a, of a line yes. ecologist yeah. and line, you know, yeah. conservationists on the, on the actual. I, I think that as far as I'm hearing is that the, the stats are not current. Okay. And and there needs to be a lot more work mm. done on on getting reliable statistics. Mm. But again, you know, the f- funding is always a, is a problem. A huge problem. Yeah. If, I mean, imagine if we could sp- get volunteers who pay thirty to fifty thousand rand a month that we could put that money into. Well, you work. Studies. I mean, some of the projects have got up to thirty-five volunteers, volunteers at a time. At a time. So you do the numbers. Yeah. Yeah. You do the numbers, yeah. and majority of these lion farmers get, you know, um, and over, carcasses spread for over free. Two hundred farms. That's yeah, quite. exactly. They get they get a lot of their meat for free, so they're feeding their animals. Um, the cost the cost of, you know, growing their their um, progeny and and produce is yeah. minimal. Yeah. So it's yeah, they're making a lot of money. And they, you know, this and the other side of it is is. Um, is employment. You know, yep. the, most of the work done on these volunteer projects is done by the volunteers. Exactly. They build the enclosures. They so look after the animals. not helping our local employment at all. Mm. At all. Oh, but they, they say they help the locals. <laughs> they always do. So, okay. So our listeners are going to go and they're going to buy the DVD from takealot.com. They are going to go onto your Facebook page, which is Blood. It's www.facebook.com forward slash bloodlines official. And then your website is? Uh, www.bloodlines.org. And Twitter? It's at blood underscore lions. Okay. Yeah. So you're going to go in there and you got, this is, you're going to find out where the live screenings are because those are wonderful to attend. I attended one. Yeah. We've, we've pretty much coming to the end of those, okay. but, um, yeah, there are still some happening. Okay. Yeah. Great. Well, Pippa, I want to thank you, um, so much for a making, making the documentary and fighting so hard to get the truth out there. I really well, I take my hat have done off it to without all of you. my team. <laughs> no, you guys are absolutely <laughs> they, amazing. They've really been incredible. Every single person, and it's been a very small team. A lot of filmmakers have said to us, "You know, how on how earth did, you did do we do it?" it? Yeah. But it was just the passion and the, oh, you know, the absolute brilliant. dedication of everybody involved in that team. And you can see team, it; so. it really comes across in the DVD. Yeah, it's amazing. So. so thank you so much for taking thank time you, to join Ansley. us. Thank you, It's been a real pleasure. Thank, thank you very you. much. And listeners, I will be back next week.
This is CliffCentral.com.